0: Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor-in-chief of the New Books Network, and the following interview is being republished with permission from the excellent podcast, Psychologists Off the Clock. That's Psychologists Off the Clock at offtheclockpsych.com. I hope you enjoy the interview. We do not have the choice to not have trade-offs. And it's, it's in that awareness that you can either consciously choose the essential or unconsciously choose the non-essential.
1: That was author Greg McEwen on Psychologists Off the Clock. Curious what psychologists chat about over coffee? We are three clinical psychologists who love to discuss the best ideas from psychology. I'm Dr. Diana
2: Hill, practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado. And from coast to coast, I'm Dr. Yael Brett, a
1: Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University.
2: In this podcast, we explore the psychological principles that we use in our clinical work. And we bring you ideas
1: from psychology that can help you flourish in your work, parenting, relationships, and health. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. This is Yael, and I'm here with Debbie to introduce the final episode of our New Year's series. So in the past few years, I have found myself becoming increasingly overwhelmed with the number of roles I have, both personally and professionally. Um, What happened was I just felt stretched in too many directions, and I kept hitting my emotional wall. So even though my job is to help people make good, healthy decisions so that they don't repeatedly uh, melt down, that is, in fact, what I kept doing. And in trying to find my own way out of this overwhelmed hole that I was in, I started doing my own research, and I came across this wonderful book called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And I was fortunate to get the author of this book, Greg McKeown, to join me in this episode to talk about his inspirational approach to dealing with the overwhelm that so many of us get trapped in and which, especially as many of us are making resolutions to do things better in the coming year, offers some practical steps to make positive change. So what essentialism is, is a systematic discipline that helps you to make more selective life choices so that you can be more effective in the areas of life that matter most to you. And in very concrete terms, it has three distinct steps. The first step is to explore what really matters to you so that you can tease out the trivial many from the essential few. In the second step, you work to eliminate or at least to reduce the trivial activities from your life. And finally, in the execution step, you create a system that makes the essential things easier to sustain. And for me, this process has really become a guide that I return to again and again. And Debbie, I know that in listening to this episode, you were really inspired. And so I wanted to hear how you've applied some of these steps to your own life.
2: Yeah, yeah. I've been thinking about the episode a lot since I listened to it, mostly because, you know, you mentioned that sometimes we feel overwhelmed and spread too thin. And I think I feel sometimes like, oh, I'm spreads so thin, I don't have time to do this, or I don't have time to do that. And I tell myself I'm too busy. But in fact, there's plenty of time that I'm spending like goofing around on the computer or doing things that aren't that important to me. And I really think that since I listened to this episode, I've been paying a lot of attention. Like I love to read fiction. And I think that's that's just like a real treat for me. And I keep telling everyone and telling myself, oh, I don't have time to read fiction. But in fact, if I freed up some of the time I'm spending doing these other unimportant things like checking social media or something like that, I could read a lot of fiction books in a year. So it's just really helped me notice more and more when I'm doing that.
1: Yeah, I think even just thinking about what and asking yourself, what is essential and what is non-essential is such an important first step and just being willing to uh, wonder about that to yourself. And, and again, he walks um, me through a lot of these concrete steps that you can apply to your own life. So I hope you all will find inspiration in Greg McEwan's approach of essentialism. In addition to having authored the best-selling book, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, Greg McKeown is also a frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review. He is a sought-after keynote speaker, a repeating guest on The Steve Harvey Show, and his work on essentialism is regularly written about in media, including in The New York Times. Greg is also founder and CEO of McKeown Inc., a strategy design center, and I'm so delighted he made time in his busy schedule to talk to us about essentialism. Welcome, Greg.
0: Uh, It's so good to be with you. Thank you. Um,
1: So... Your book was just a really lovely read. As somebody who is a working parent who tends to feel pretty scattered in lots of different directions, it really spoke to me, and I think it speaks to a lot of readers, which is why it's um, been such a successful book. Um, But I was hoping that you could just start us off by telling us a little bit about how you got into this idea of essentialism. In your book, you detail an intensely personal story that illustrates the dilemma of that is so common for most people, but one that particularly hits those of us who straddle many roles and demands in life.
0: Yes. I, I received uh, an email from, uh, my boss at the time saying that a Friday between one and two would be a very bad time for my wife to have a baby. Um, and, uh, uh and, and perhaps at some level they were joking or perhaps they were entirely joking, but, uh, but, as we went into the hospital Thursday, late Thursday night, my wife uh, had a daughter uh, in the middle of the night. And so we're there Friday, just in recovery mode. Uh, everyone's doing well enough, uh, you know, as well as, as well as one does if after they've been through the valley of the shadow of the death of death the night before. <laughs> and to my shame, I, I, I went to the meeting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm leaving Uh, Leave the hospital. How can I do both? It's sort of in my head. How can I keep everybody happy? And and afterwards, I remember um, my boss said, "Look, the the client will respect you for the choice that you just made." And and I don't know that the client did respect uh, the choice that I just made. Um, The look on their faces didn't evince that sort of confidence to me. Uh, but e- even if even if they were right and even if they did respected it, and even if something great had come up the meeting, which in fact it didn't, um, it is clear. It is obvious to me in hindsight to everybody, I think, listening to this, that I made a fool's bargain and I violated something more important for something less important. And it um, you know, what I learned from the lesson was uh, the experience rather the, was uh, was that if you don't prioritize your life someone else will. And uh, that's what I learned. But uh, people listening to this conversation, I think they can ask themselves some, a few questions that, that grow out of that lesson and that experience, which is, you know, have they ever found themselves um, stretched too thin at work or at home or both? Uh, like I was, uh, have they ever found themselves Feeling busy, but not necessarily productive. Um, Rushing around doing lots of things, but not necessarily the right things. Um, Or or, or feeling that their day or even their life is being hijacked by other people's agenda instead of what they feel is like their highest and best use. And and if they can answer yes to any of those questions, or perhaps even all of those questions, then, then the research that I've done and the work that I've done may... And the book I wrote may be uh, relevant to them because, you know, the way out of these sort of uh, challenging uh, situation is to become an essentialist.
1: Yeah, and I, I think it's such an important articulation, and that story just embodies the challenge that so many of us experience when. We're being pulled in directions, and and everything seems to matter so much. I mean, as a working parent myself, who cares very deeply about her professional life and who is enamored of her children, it can be hard to figure out where to direct my resources. And I think it's such a common modern problem. And I think you, you describe it so well in the book. I mean, there's this sense in our modern life that we can have it all, and so we try to do it all. But what you talk about is that, you know, when, when we say yes to everything, we're we're not really doing our best work, in fact, far from it. Um, and so, you know, the more that we have, instead of feeling like we're on top of it, the more overwhelmed we feel and the less effective we are. Yeah.
0: Yes. I, I think that if I could summarize my current view on it, it is, is that we have been conned um, into I mean, there's a few things that we believe, and 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 altogether, I think they create a con. We believe that we should have it all; that that's just what we should have is everything. <laughs> um, we believe that uh, you know that we have to have it all, and by all we mean everything that w- we see other people doing and having uh, in person. You know, the the literal Joneses. Um, or the, or rather the, the people we actually see our neighbors. Uh, but then of course there's our social media neighbors. So there's a huge increase of the number of people that we're comparing our lives against. And we think we have to do everything that they're all doing. And, and then another part of the con is that we believe that in order to get everything that everybody else has, that we have to do everything all of the time. So th- there's another disconnect there. The, the basis that, that If we do everything we possibly can, then we'll get everything we possibly want. And the problem, as I already said, is that that is a con. Another name is it's a lie, right? It's not actually true. None of that is true. It's not true that we have to have it all. It's not true that if we try to do it all, we will get it all. So none of it's actually real. None of it's actually workable. None of it actually delivers uh, on, on what's, uh, you know, what what it says on the packaging. That's right. So to, to, we can give it a name for this now. This is non-essentialism. Non-essentialism is this way of thinking and then the way of living that follows.
1: That idea of trying to have it all feels so pervasive and so pressure-filled, that we kind of miss out on the moments that really count and on the types of endeavors where we would really get something out of it. Um, and I think that that is true about life in parenting. That's true about life at work. That's true about material possessions. I think that this pressure to do more, to have more, really just distracts us from the things that really matter. And it just it, it's so omnipresent that it's hard to, to escape it.
0: Yes, I think there is. In a sense, there's no escaping it now. I mean, it is it is everywhere. So it's not just okay. I mean, I I don't advocate for a sort of go to the well, I do encourage people to go to the top of the mountain. um, But I don't think, you know, it's not like we go to give it all up. And go and live in the mountaintop. And, I mean, that's not my life. I live in the real world. I mean, I have yeah. I'm married, uh, amazing wife Anna. We've got children, four children. We they're active, they're involved. I mean, we live in the real world. I you know, it, you know engaged in the community, engaged at church, engaged uh, in, in schooling, engaged in my work. I mean, I live in that we. I live in the real world, but. What I want to do is not be – is not absorb into me and into you know, my heart, into my spirit, the the chaos that's out there, the commotion that's out there. And there are many things that can be done. And I, I'm a work in progress. I, I'm an aspiring essentialist all of the time. But there are many trade-offs that can be made, and over the long run, these things add up, even small trade-offs add up to being to, to what amounts to an essentialist lifestyle, what amounts to an essentialist life, which means in the final analysis that you live a life that really matters and that you don't give your life up for things that, that don't matter at all. And that is a very real risk. Is that people get to the end of their lives and they look back and they say, my goodness, I really did spend an enormous amount of time and effort doing things that didn't matter and worrying about things that didn't matter and feeling anxiety about things that didn't matter. I mean, that can, that can add up to a significant portion of life. And so while I don't think you can just sort of get rid of all of it. And you certainly can't put the genie back in the bottle out there in society. You can do things. To protect what is important and essential, you know, to you, to your family, to the kind of home you want to have, to the kind of lifestyle that you feel is the highest and best use of you. Yeah,
1: one of my favorite lines from your book, um, and and this sort of stopped me in my tracks, is that. You wrote, only once you give yourself permission to stop trying to do it all, to stop saying yes to everyone, can you make your highest contribution towards the things that really matter. And I think that really gets to sort of the choices that we have. And you talk a lot about choice in your book, because we don't have choice over the messages that come in from our workplace or from the media or from our friendship circles, but we do have choice in how we respond to it. And I think that that's really important to recognize, and and you really talk a lot about Um, what we can do to increase our ability to focus on what really matters. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit with me about, you know, if there are so many things, so many roles that we have, and therefore so many, I mean, you talked about being involved in your community and the church and, you know, as a parent and in your professional life, how do you focus in and how do you make choices about what matters and what doesn't in terms of where you direct your resources?
0: Yeah very 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 carefully <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes that's the that's the answer is is um i mean every, every single person listening to this every single person has too much to do has too much pressure and and is 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 dealing with the challenge at some level and and every person, because of that reality, every person here is, despite, <laughs> despite what they don't think, they don't think this is true, are in a sense experts at saying no. In a sense. They don't actually say no, but they do know. They, they Because because as soon as you have way more than you can possibly do, that means by definition, many things will not be done. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like that's, that's very – that's like inarguable. That's self-evident. So it means that we are not doing things many, many times, right? Every day, we are not doing many things that we <laughs> feel obliged to do, that we think we ought to do, that, that they've come our way, that, that we, you know, internally think we have to, or externally people are, you know, inviting us to do, or whatever. So we are saying no all the time. Now, the question is, is are the things at the end of the day that didn't get least important things? Did the least important things fall out? Did the most important things stay in? So what I'm describing is, is what trade-offs are we making? We do not have the choice to not have trade-offs. We only have the choice that to, to, to either let life define the trade-offs or for us to consciously make trade-offs. And it's it's in that awareness that you can either consciously choose the essential or unconsciously choose the non-essential that you start to discover a greater freedom. An awareness that you say, okay, either way today there's going to be trade-offs absolutely either way we're going to be saying no to things so now given that that's the reality now do I get to choose those things or do I just let circumstances choose them and and the the you know it, at first that can be a, just a very small idea uh, I, I, I I am choosing I get to choose I mean one of the things that, well, the small tiny changes in the book that I suggest is uh, and I'm not the first to even suggest it, but is to say, it's catch your language, watch your language, uh, watch notice the next time you say, I have to, I have to do this, and just change the language to this, I choose to do this because… and fill in the blank.
1: Yeah. And I, I, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking of all these examples that I have in my own life of things that I feel like I have to do, or I used to feel like I have to do. And in the recent year, I would say I've, because I started feeling so overwhelmed, I've started to ask myself more, you know, do I, and there's all these things. And I, I hear, uh, parent friends of mine saying, you know, I I have to, for example, have my child write thank you cards after each birthday party. And I started wondering, do I? Because it's a pain the child hates it. And when I get them, it's just kind of like they go straight to the trash. No offense if, um, you know, you're somebody who sent me a thank you card. I appreciate it. But I don't know for me that it holds the same value. In other words, that it's the highest and best use of my time and and my resources as a parent. And so I stopped doing them and nothing happened. My child still feels gratitude when he gets a gift and he expresses it in the moment. I can let the parent know that he got the gift and appreciated it next time I see them. and, and, We haven't lost friends because of it. And I think there's all sorts of examples like that where, um, you know, in our privileged setups, there's all these practices, social etiquette and otherwise, that we engage in that we start to feel like, oh, everybody does it and therefore so must I. And I think that we don't ask ourselves enough, well, must I? And, And if I choose, if I determine that it's a really, you know, high expenditure of my energy and my attention and my time. And I question the value. What happens if I choose not to? And like you said, we can sort of experiment with that. We can really hold ourselves to task and wonder and be skeptical about whether or not we really have to do a variety of things. And it can happen in the workplace too. You know, do I have to be there for 40 hours a week, or can I say you know, it would be a more efficient use of my time if I worked from home and to you know, have that be a discussion with your colleagues or your boss? The answer might be no, you can't do that, but the answer also might be yes. And I think by finding out where the choice is and being uh, willing to question yourself whether it's something that rises to a level that you value, it sort of opens you up to, to have... Uh, the opportunity to um, say, "I'm not going to do that or, or you know I'm not going to do a variety of things that used to feel like things that I, I really needed to do.
0: Yes, exactly. and and so it, I think this is the, in a way, the beginning of the journey from being a non-essentialist to an essentialist. it's It's not the beginning isn't, I think, saying no. That's that that that's definitely true in my view. The the you know, I didn't write a book called Noism, um, <laughs> you know. So that's not the first place. And and the first place, I'm not even sure if it's saying, you know, what's what is the most important thing to me. I think the first thing is to say, I have a choice. I have a choice. You know, I I have a choice. You know, life is fast and full of opportunity, and the complication is we've been conditioned to think we could have it all. And yeah. and the impact of that is that we, is that we, um, is that we're going to plateau in our progress. And 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 my position, to, is is that we can make a different choice. Yeah. And if we discover that we can make a different choice, then we could choose to become essentialists. And if we do that, then we can live a life that really matters. I mean, that's like the value proposition in a nutshell and so at the core of it again is is to is to become aware again of our choice Absolutely. that we can choose things and th- and that doesn't mean we can choose it all <laughs> yeah
1: no, <'cause> there's <laughs> that's always like the opportunity one choice costs. we can yeah.
0: th- there's always opportunity costs and and, uh, and and so it's about but it's about becoming aware i can choose differently i can choose different trade-offs than other people are making I can I can choose to go big on one thing even though everyone else is going you know doing trying to do five different things I can go big on the few things that really matter to me
1: yeah when, um, one example that I love to pull in when I'm talking about choice, because I think that individuals often feel like they don't have a choice, like the other people have more choice, but they are compelled by their boss or by their uh, family circumstances or by their financial circumstances to be very limited in choice. So the example that I love to draw on is from this beautiful book called Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Frankl, And it's the story of a, of a very prominent psychiatrist who went through the concentration camps during World War II. And he talks about that even in these absolutely brutal conditions of a concentration camp, that there was choice. And um, I'll just read this quote that I just think is so profound. But he writes, there are always choices to make. Every day, every hour, offered the opportunity to make a decision, a decision which determined whether you would or would not to submit to those powers which threatened to rob you of your very self, your inner freedom. So you can see that even in, you know, these you know, extreme, brutal and and really uh, restrictive conditions of a concentration camp that he was able to identify there is choice. And I think that is so, so critical in our lives where we feel this sense of lack of choice to recognize there is always choice. We're always making a choice, as you said. Even when we're not making a choice, we're, we're making a choice.
0: <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, and, and, and there's tremendous... There's tremendous liberty in this. I mean, it, 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 it takes courage, too, because as soon as you say, well, I have a choice, it, it means, well, I've been choosing, you know, I've been choosing these things, this response. I've been doing that. And, and there is there is a great allurement to to really uh, take the role of a victim. I would do this sometimes with my children. Uh, and I was role-playing one sort of role-playing, um, victimhood with them. And, uh, and I was actually really surprised at how easy it was. Like it actually kind of, I don't know, it, it sort of terrified me in a way. It made me very strange how I could claim victimhood instantly in any circumstance, however good it was, and it, it just to just to role play, it just, just to start. As soon as you start complaining, even in the best of times, in the best of circumstances, you, you, you the, the words will come, the ex- excuses will come, the expressions will come. Victimhood is it <clears throat> will rob us of so much. And that doesn't mean that we don't have trials. It doesn't mean that we don't have struggles. But but what a delight, a liberty to discover in this circumstance, I can pause and have a choice. I can make a choice. Now, that doesn't mean that that, that there aren't consequences to choices. It doesn't mean that, of course, but it does mean you don't simply have to be a function of other people's behavior. It doesn't mean that you have to simply do what you've always done in the past. It doesn't mean you have to do what everyone else is doing. And and then out of those choices come, of course, the rest of essentialism, which is, which is these questions. What is essential? And how can I remove the things that are non-essential? And then how can I create a system, a life, a routine that makes doing what I've identified as most important, as effortless as possible.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and, and that's really then the, the, the charge and, and trust of the rest of the book.
1: Right. And so and so let's start of, start talking about that piece, about how we make, how we sort of figure out what is essential and, and what's non-essential. And one of the things that I think about a lot as um, somebody who comes from the academic world is sort of what, what science helps us do and how science actually makes things more overwhelming. So, you know, I look at the research of happiness and, and discover that, you know, it's important for health and happiness to work. Work out, you know, five times a week. To meditate daily. To spend time with my children. To uh, spend ten hours. 10,000 hours on the skills in which I want to excel, to prioritize my marriage, to take breaks, to enhance my mental health by going on vacation, and so on. And so Mm -hmm. it can be really hard, right, with this sense that there's so many things that are so important for a successful and happy life that it can then be hard to figure out how how do I actually do it all without feeling, at the end of it, used up, scattered, and not enjoying life at all. Um, You know, it can be so overwhelming to try to be successful and happy that you kind of lose sight of it. So I'm curious, you know, if you can talk us through some of the ways that you figure out, you know, what goes into the category of essential, and obviously this will vary from person to person, but what are the kinds of questions that we can ask ourselves to help hone in on what really matters and what, what really is trivial?
0: So, so yes, I mean, that's, I, I, I like that. And I want to kind of, uh, I want to go even more practical still, just like one layer more. And if you're game for it, I, I want to put some questions yeah. to you. So, oh, okay. so tell me. So, so don't don't overthink this. Just give okay. it an answer because I okay. think it will be. I think we'll learn more in this way. So, just tell me one thing in your life right now that you feel is you know, really important. It's essential, but it's being underinvested in. Uh,
1: I'm working on a book um, on working parenthood, and it is. Almost impossible for me to locate enough time to to really do an excellent job at it, which is so important to me because I, this book has sort of uh, become a passion of mine.
0: What what does um, yeah? Why is it so important to
1: you? Well, you know, through my life experiences as a clinical psychologist, as an academic, um, and and then when I became became a parent, it it all kind of came together that this is something that I have to offer the world because of my training and my background and the way that I orient as a parent. And I think that the conversation about parenthood in our, in our modern culture is so limited. And I think it leaves working parents without a positive model to work from and, and leaves us all, leaves most of us feeling without a useful compass.
0: You feel that your voice could be used to reach certain people that that if you don't do it, it won't be done there'll be other voices but that your voice your training, your experience will be um, can be uniquely beneficial
1: yeah, it sounds a little egotistical, but yes, I guess so
0: <laughs> I, it, it doesn't it doesn't sound egotistical to me i think I think there I, I think there are many there are many ways in which it is our unique voice that is needed and required that, that, that somebody else saying something really similar will still not reach certain people because we are actually the ones that are supposed to reach them. So it, it just sounds like a sense of mission to me, a unique mission, uh, not egotistical. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, and uh, okay. So let, let's go a little further now. So, so what does success look like to you? And I mean, give me it in minutes or hours per day. Like what, how much time would, not perfect, I'm not looking for perfection, I'm looking for the amount that you would no longer say you're under-investing in it.
1: It's so unrealistic, but I think if I had like four hours a day, it it just, I cannot imagine that happening, but if I had four hours a day to devote to this writing project, I think I could really, and, and I will say that I've actually made strides on it. It's just been so piecemeal and has taken so very long. Um, but if I had four hours per day, I could really feel like I was gaining momentum and and getting somewhere a little bit more efficiently than I've been able to do.
0: How how long do you currently spend on it per day?
1: Uh, it varies, but most days zero. And then when I'm lucky, I can usually put like two hours together.
0: And, and when you do two hours, do you feel like you make good progress in two hours?
1: Yes, I do. I mean, I'm so focused. It's sort of, I get there. And I do think that there's an interesting science that you might be familiar with about the default mode network. I think because it's something that's constantly on my mind and I read so much and a lot of my professional roles overlap. And so I'm able to sort of do some deep thinking Even as I'm doing work, for example, in preparation for the podcast, Um, and so when I sit down to write, I think I'm really ready to do it because I've
0: allowed Mm. sort
1: of my creative processes in the back of my mind to percolate, and then I'm kind of ready to just hit the ground running.
0: Yes, there's um, uh, Seinfeld was recently asked about this. uh, You know, how long does it take you to do a one-hour stand-up comedy special for Netflix? And and he said he's, I mean, this is his words, not mine, but he said he said you might as well ask. (laughs) This <laughs> it does it sound a bit egotistical, but he said, "He said you might as well ask God how long it took him to 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 create the oak tree." The oak tree. He's like. He's like, he's like, God's just always doing it all the time. And has yeah. been forever. So you yeah. can't say how long did it take? He yeah. said, I'm doing it all the time. I, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a comedian all the time when I'm doing professional work. And that's what you just said, I think is, is you said, look, it's not just the, it's not just the writing time. It's the thinking time. And that's part of what's already built into your world. Right. So what, what I took from that, what I just learned for you is, is that actually, even if you set the goal at two hours a day it would be significant improvement. And you could make meaningful progress in that amount of time. Yeah. Now, I say that, you know, you can still have the goal for four hours if you want to. But I wonder whether two hours is just, you know, obviously, it's it's twice as realistic, uh, because it's half the amount of time. Um, and, and it might be a little less overwhelming that my goodness, I'm see if I don't have four hours, I'm not I'm failing in this, and I'm not creating enough space for it. So that might might be might get us more realistic. How do you feel about that?
1: It's a a more realistic goal and it's still hard to imagine just because of all of the – and this is sort of the – you can see the space between my non-essentialist self and my aspirational essentialist self because – um, like so many of us, you know, it's hard for me to give up time with my children. It's hard for me to give up the financial rewards of, you know, some of the professional roles that take up some of my time. And, um, you know, it's important to me to be engaged in my community, et cetera, et cetera. And so, it yes, you know, just uh, even carving out, I think, one hour, would, it's it's hard to f- to make that happen consistently. Which isn't an excuse. It's just it's hard for me to figure out how to how to. Cr- create that time.
0: Yes. I mean, what you just said is, is this sounds almost impossible to me, you know, even at two hours, it sounds almost impossible. You know, even an hour sounds almost impossible. That's what I think you just said. Uh, yes. And yes, which is, which is very (laughs) helpful. (laughs) Yes. But yes. But isn't it it interesting how good it is to get to the realness, you know, it's easy. So easy to talk about the choices and so on is a concept, but yeah. then we, now we've got to like yeah, apply the it. So this was
1: meets the road is a lot. That's messier. right.
0: <laughs> and, 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 and what we have just covered in that, whatever few minutes is step one of the three-step process of essentialism. We've covered what is essential. You've covered something that you feel is really important, why it matters. You've covered what success would look like. Which is a little ambiguous right now because yeah. it's somewhere between one hour and four hours. Right. Okay. Um, yes. You know, and I and I and i I mean, even if it was, it sounds like even if you really were doing an hour every day, you'd feel a lot better about it because yeah. you'd know you were making real progress. Yes. Whereas in now, yes. too many days are zero.
2: Right. And
0: that's the thing that really burns you. Yes. Is is you go you go? I'm not going to get there. <laughs> If I'm if I'm doing zero yes. percent writing of my book. But yes. if I was doing even an hour of my book every day, then I would get it done. It might not get it done as fast as I want, but I would still get it done. Yeah. And that's the bigger thing. Yeah. Okay, so this is all step one. Step two is is the you know it, well, is the elimination. So we got three steps: explore, eliminate, execute. Now we're dealing with the eliminate side. And now the question I have, I have a few questions, but one is What is something that is non-essential for you? Let's start at the extreme and see if we can identify anything. First of all, that is non-essential for you that you are over-investing in. There might not be anything, but there might be. So let's just start with that, you know, question. It's the other end of the continuum, totally unimportant. You know, it is, it wastes your time, but you still do it. Your habit is still there.
1: Um, Something non-essential. It's so hard to think about. I, I. This is a, this is a difficult question. I mean, I don't spend that much time on social media, but I would say any time I'd spend on social media is non-essential.
0: Um, how, how much time do you think you spend?
1: Not much. I mean, some days not at all, but you know, on a day that I do, probably fifteen minutes. But, okay.
0: You know, it's, so let's it's say, something. And, and 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 if you had your phone in front of you. And you had to actually go and find the actual numbers. Would you be surprised? Do you think to find how much you actually spend on the different apps? So, what? Why don't we? T- why don't we test it?
1: I don't actually know how to look it up.
0: Yes, I'm about to. I'm about to share it with you. <laughs> so, okay. So here's what you do. You go into settings. Okay. And then you you can search for battery. Click on battery. Okay. Above the apps, okay, okay, so above the apps, there is um, a battery symbol, uh, a little clock face. Yes. Are you seeing any of that? Yeah, okay, it says last
1: 24 hours or last seven days. Great,
0: okay, click last seven days. Okay, okay. And click the clock face. Okay. Okay, now we know, now this has a record of where you've spent your time on your phone. It doesn't include all the, any other devices, but but it includes your phone for the last seven days and by by app and also by hours and minutes. So that's what you're looking okay. at. So tell yes. me what you see.
1: Okay. So um, Safari, so internet searches is fifteen percent, one point eight hours.
0: Okay. A couple um, of hours there.
1: Okay. YouTube is fourteen um, percent Three hours on screen, 19 minutes background. I'm not sure what that means. So I watch, um, my kids and I like to watch music videos. <laughs> so that's what, mm-hmm. what that is largely.
2: Um, mm-hmm.
1: Phone is 3.7 hours on screen. This so is 14%. Uh, email, uh, 8%, 55 minutes on screen. Uh, messages, so texting, 1.9 hours on screen, 6 minutes background.
0: Um, how, how long are you listening to podcasts
1: 1.9 hours
0: okay so a week. couple couple of hours in the last week on podcasts. now you do do that while you're doing other things yeah, yeah you're driving mm-hmm. you're listening to those driving, yeah right washing so that's,
1: dishes folding laundry
0: <laughs> no and I know so that, so that is a different kind of time usage yeah. you know it's yeah. not like you, you could exchange that to directly get to to, um, to the to the writing um,
1: yeah. And then yeah, Facebook, I mean, Facebook's actually not that much. It's uh, 22 minutes.
0: 22 minutes in the last week, right? That's mm-hmm. not, that is, that is not very much, right? It's yeah. still, I will point out 22 minutes. Right,
1: right, right.
0: <laughs> um, as that you goes already pretty, pretty far before, to an hour,
1: yeah.
0: I, well, I, I actually had an experience with this where I gave up Facebook and I was doing, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And what I, my trade-off was, I'm not going to go on Facebook at all. I'm going to call my grandfather once a week uh, and it, it was always short calls. He was never, he's never on the phone long. He always sort of felt like he couldn't be on the phone. I try and keep him on for a while, but you know, ten or fifteen minutes each week. I, I really missed a week from then till the time that he passed away. Uh, or I could have been on Facebook. Right. I mean, there's a, there's no comparison, right? Delete yeah. Facebook off your phone. Right. Now you have you do have twenty two minutes towards writing your book. It's not sufficient, but we got some. Um, you can do digital. Essentialism where you say just just, just just take everything off the phone, everything, and you bring back the apps one by one that actually help you achieve what you've identified as being really important. Yeah. You know, like questioning each of these apps on the device yeah. is, is worth doing because maybe while you're doing the dishes is actually the time to be connecting with your kids you yeah. work together doing that together yeah. uh, maybe when you're in the car instead of listening to the podcast that's when you call the family instead of you know there's there's ways to 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 tweak this so that so that the the, the you know you do get this hour back i mean that's what you're trying to get back Let, let's 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 get it to 1 hour you're trying to claim back reclaim an hour of your life yeah to write yes to sacrosanct hour Now that's okay. So, you you know, you heard the sort of extreme version I did for writing my book. Okay. But that was, that that was done in nine months, right? So that was intense. And and there's no question I couldn't have done it. If, if Anna hadn't uh, taken uh, a a significant burden through that time, Uh, I, you know, I did other things to try and balance that out. I, I would finish writing and then I would be there for the family and, and I would take responsibilities in the, in the afternoon and in the evening. So you know, there was a way to make it through. It ended up being a family-friendly period. But of course, it took sacrifice. It took not just mine, but hers as well. It took deliberate trade-offs. But you can do that too. If you're looking for an hour, of course, you can have this discussion. Of course, you you can at least have the conversation. You know, could you, for this amount of time, be responsible for these things I'm normally doing? We're looking for one hour. I'm willing to give up Facebook. I'm willing to give up these social media. I will give up the, the podcast if that turns out to be helpful. I'm willing to give up uh, you know I, I will t I will create a a process for my podcasts for the podcasts I do that reduces my time spent in preparation it, normally it takes x hours now i'm going to do it this time because i'm actually going to put a checklist together of the must do things the essential things to make yeah. a great podcast instead of all the extra things I'm not going to read any articles just generally that that for for, for curi- just a general curiosity for the period of writing this book. I'm going to search out specific things specifically to write the book. here, here These are some ideas. I don't feel That's... like we just nailed it. <laughs> no, no, so go these ahead. are great.
1: But can I ask you a specific question that I think um, is something that so many people experience? And I certainly do, too. And I've heard you talk about this, and I, I love your perspective. But I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the issue of people-pleasing. To,
0: to say you're a people-pleaser always feels like a little bit of a backdoor brag. Is it, is this is you, Yeah, yeah, you know, oh, uh, the problem... The only problem for me is that I just like to keep everybody happy all of the time. Look, we, we, we don't live in a world. We live in a world of relationships. I, I, I don't think that essentialism is an anti-relationship model uh, or an anti investing in people model. In some ways, I think not, not in some ways in a lot of ways, I think that I've invested more in relationships and more in my most important relationships, especially because of essentialism, not less. Yeah. Um, but but it's more conscious, it's more thoughtful, and you're not just treating it all as if as if it's equal. I mean, I get emails all the time, and I and I just I you know I probably read most of them, but I I have no sense of expectation inside of myself that I I will reply to them. You know, I have I do have people that can that reply to most of those emails um, that, that 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 come in, uh, but but I but I. If I treated every email as equally important, if I treated every, every relationship that we have in life as equally important, what, what a madness that would create. But I think for a lot of people, it creates just such madness. You know, for me, my, my priority, what I want is for my wife to know that she is the undisputed priority relationship in my life. I, I want that to, her to feel that. Not the words of it, but to, to see it, that I will make trade-offs, that I won't do certain things, that I will turn down certain opportunities. It's just to, to maintain commitments that we've made, uh, to, to, to go a date night every week and so on. There's all sorts of things that I need to make trade-offs to. There's so many things I could do. So it's about remembering that not all commitments are of equal importance and not all relationships are of equal importance. I mean what what in a, in an age of social media the idea that we that all all relationships are of equal importance is is enough to make a person kind of actually go crazy yeah uh, of course they can't be Of course they aren't. That doesn't mean they don't matter to you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that they are not important. But the idea that with a a fixed amount of time that we have, that everybody is of equal importance and every opinion of equal, therefore of equal importance, it's all just a nonsense. So I think it is about, yeah, are people pleasing? Yeah, are you trying to please the right people? You're being discerning about not just who to serve, but what really they want, and need. Yeah. And there's all sorts of things. I was just talking to Anna just the other day about something that I do for her. Um, and it is, I, I get up early. Uh, I take our children to an early morning uh, class that they go to uh, actually church class. And, and, uh, and it's, it's very early, uh, frightfully early for me mm-hmm. most mornings. And, and I get up and one of the things I do for her is I don't turn on any lights. I, I, don't, uh, I don't use the electric toothbrush because I, I don't want to wake her up. Oh. And she reminded me the other yes, but the, she reminded me the other day. She said this is not important to me. No. She says she <laughs> says I she says I sleep I sleep through anything. It doesn't matter. And I, it was a totally valid point. I'm making a sacrifice that is in fact not serving her. And so, of course, there the can, of course, there will be. Dilemmas of, oh, well, this is important to me and it's not important to you and conversations to be had, but that's where essentialism becomes rich. You start to have the hard conversations. Yeah, you start yeah. to say- You make surprising and, discoveries. And, and, and likewise, in the reverse, there are all sorts of things that, that I've thought weren't that important, but as we discuss it and keep having conversations, I realize, well, wow, this is the most important thing to you. Yeah. And, and here I am, here I am hardly investing in it. And so as we have these conversations, as we lean into it, we discover which things matter and which things don't. Sometimes that means you part ways about things. Yeah. Sometimes it means that you're working with somebody and they think this thing matters and, 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 and you get to, I don't mean divorce, irreconcil- irreconcilable differences, but there's a point where you go, oh, you want to do this and I want to do that. Well, let's, let's do it separately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know That's okay too, but let's not avoid the conversation and then find ourselves having applied non-essentialism doing things that we thought were the most important things that turned out not to be the most important things. We, that's, that's a bad strategy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so these same three steps, explore what's essential, eliminate what's not and execute it. it this can also be a relationship process
1: yeah there's so much individual variation in what really matters to us, and that I think is such an important part of this conversation, which is that what's essential to me might not be essential, even to my husband. Um, and yes. I think that's sort of what you're talking about that you you can decide to part ways on on you know a, a given choice, um and certainly what's important to me may not be important to my neighbor.
0: yes, just so. and 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 I think that I think that where what what I'm sort of encouraging you to do here is to say, okay. You've identified something that in this conversation that you said was very important that you're not getting to. And now we started at the far end of the, the continuum about what's non-essential. And, and maybe there is enough there to make up this hour a day. There might be. I, I'm, I'm feeling inspired to
1: make it happen. <laughs> and,
0: and, 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 and that's the best scenario. If, if that's the scenario, that's the best case because that means you, you get a bargain, and, and 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 then we move just to the third step, which is execution. And the execution stage, it's about creating a system that reinforces the trade-off you've just established. So it's an hour a day is what you want. The non-essentials include, you know, pointless, low value social media, uh, you know, less time on the screen, uh, you know, the negotiation with, with, uh, with you're your supposed to be able to explore this, um, removing you know different trade-offs that could be made and and, and way you know so a few things that that's the trade-off now now the part three is how do you how do you follow through on this yeah. how do you actually make it as easy and effortless as possible i mean in the interest of time we probably can't attach a lot and 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 i'll give you maybe one provocative idea and it, it might not really work for you and it might not work for everyone listening but it's it, 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 I've seen it be very effective for people. So somebody shared it with me, in fact, in the first place. That it was their, their idea, and they were doing it. It was really working for them. And it's the it's this. It's the $100 challenge. And what they did is they they, they identified something essential, identified things that they were going to give up, and their, their $100 challenge was this. They put $100 up where they could see it. And it, the, the, every day that they made the trade-off, they'd identified, that $100 stays up there. But the, the first day they don't make the trade-off, they will have to take down their $100, rip it up, and throw it away. Oof. <laughs> right. And, 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 everybody, and everybody everybody listening to this just had the same sensation. <laughs> oh. And part of it, part of that might be, that's a bad idea. I don't like it. Fine. Okay. So don't do it. But part of it is, Oh we really mean doing it. Oh, commitment time. Yeah. And and $100, I bet anything that you would be willing to pay $100 to spend a year making the trade-off we've just discussed. If you could meaning if you could just write a check for $100 and magically have spent an hour every day working on your writing your book and and an hour less in the social media and these other lower value activities for you. You'd write that check in a heartbeat. the The idea, of course, is whether you take that challenge or not. The idea is to build systems, incentive systems, positive ones. And in this case, this is a negative incentive um, that 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 help that helps to make it get you to the point that. There's no way you're not going to do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, and this all kind of fits in with your, you know, this idea of making the execution effortless, which I, I was just going to um, comment that it sort of fits in with this idea of Wu Wei from Taoism, which is the idea that it's action that doesn't require struggle or excessive effort. And all the things that you're talking about are sort of creating a setup that the execution almost feels natural because you set it up in a way to kind of urge, urge the action along.
0: Of course, what we want is for these to feel natural, uh, easy, effortless. That doesn't mean that life is easy and effortless. I mean, that's that's. There's no chance we're going to get to that <laughs> to that uh, type two error, right? Like that. That isn't. We, nobody listening to this is going to be like, "Oh my goodness, I over to effortless execution. My life is now." Focus on all the important things and too easy. Everything is so easy. I mean, that's not a scenario. We have still a finite amount uh, in the short term uh, of of, of discipline. And you can use it in two ways. You can use it to act, meaning I am going to use my discipline today to, despite everything else that's going on in my life, to write one hour. That's one thing. Um, And that will last today. You know, you'll get it done once. Or you can use that discipline and ability to create a system, to go and get $100 and pin it on your wall. That is part of building a system. And then the system acts upon you every day after that. You built the system, and then it works for you. You're stacking the debts in your favor. And I would advocate that all day long is building systems, building a system that supports what you've identified as being important as being essential. And then the system works for you. It helps you every day rather than working against you. Currently, I know with a hundred percent certainty, you have a system in your life that is supporting everything but writing. And we know it with a hundred percent certainty because you're not writing. And that's why you, it's not a motive problem. It's a systems problem you're incentivized to do other things you've got social incentives you've got financial incentives you've got uh, you have got um technological incentives the phone in the hand the the apps on the the apps on your front screen the billions of dollars have been spent building that
1: absolutely yeah i love it and i love the idea that it's a discipline a discipline of creating and maintaining the system that it's not something that we can just expect to sort of land in our laps but it's really something that we have to design and sustain and and sort of not expect to just happen naturally, but instead really be deliberate about it.
0: You build the system and then the system will build you. And that's, that is the, the, the very, you know, that's when essentialism takes on a whole new level. Um, because, because it's not just a nice idea and it's not just getting clear on what matters and what doesn't, it's a system that supports it. And, and that is that, that is the work of life to build that system. And, and when I, as full circle as we come to, you know, as we conclude this it, is, is that moment in the hospital those years ago is so different to my world today. And, and, and frankly, even then it wasn't like I didn't value my family or didn't value things, but things were still, I'd allowed them to get out of out of alignment. I, I allowed a system to be built and built a system that didn't make it obvious and clear. Uh, and, and, and so many decisions since, you know, when I travel now, I bring one of my children with me about 80% of the time. That's just to support that relationship. I'm, you know, we really never miss a date. My wife and I, it really doesn't happen. And I'm not saying that to make anybody feel bad or guilty. I'm just saying over time you make these shifts and, and the prioritize, it, it does become, effortless because you say, well, of course, I'm not going to, of course, I'm going to be there. Of course, this is important. And the system helps make that possible. Uh, I I work from home. I work with my family. Most of my family is here all the time. Uh, So we're we're, with each other almost all of the time now. And it's just, just what we want, not easy, but so much more effortless to prioritize these relationships because of the other systematic changes that we've made.
1: Thank you. And thank you so much, Greg, for joining us on Psychologists Off the Clock. I hope listeners have some ideas of ways that they can adopt essentialist practices to create more success, meaning, and happiness. I know I have. I'm feeling inspired and accountable to you all to follow through on some of this, on all of it. Um, We'll definitely link to your book and your website and then also that New York Times article. And if there's any other um, places that listeners can find you, um, you can share those with me and we'll link to them on our website and and on our show notes. Um, Marvellous. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. It's been an honor.
0: It's It's been my pleasure.
1: Thank you for listening to Psychologist Off the Clock.
2: You can find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you are having a mental health emergency, please dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources on our webpage. Our website is
1: www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's www.offtheclockpsych.com.